Pardon the interruption, but I'm Mike Wilbon. Sony scientists in North Dakota discovered evidence that an asteroid did kill the dinosaur 65 million years ago. I'm Tony Kornheiser. Only one life form survived. What? Larry King. Oh, that's cold. No, it isn't. That's cold. So you're going to take him to breakfast during the playoffs? No, I go to L.A. I know. You don't go to L.A. Larry, Larry's not here. He used to be here a lot in Washington. He's in L.A. I understand. He goes to all the games. You know, goes to the baseball games. Goes. Larry won't let me pay. He'll go to the hip. Well, Larry owns most of the restaurants. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to PTI, boys and girls. In today's episode, Russell Wilson sets a deadline. The Warriors make a statement, and Manny Machado does something that one announcer called Bush League. But we begin today with the triumphant return of Bryce Harper to Washington, D.C. After being booed lustily when he was introduced, Harper struck out twice to Max Scherzer in his first two at-bats. Harper then doubled off Scherzer, then hit an RBI single off Matt Grace, and then finished up with a 458-foot bomb two-run homer to right off Jeremy Hellickson. Harper flipped his bat flamboyantly, and pointed to a significant group of Phillies fans in right field. Sick of fans. Will Bond, is Harper now officially a villain? He should have been a villain before. Who are these 15% of the people cheering for Harper in Nats jerseys and stuff last night? Get them out of the city. Take them on the beltway and take them to the caravan of buses and they were all in right field. Well, okay, but I'm talking about there should have been no cheers. I mean, from Philly people, fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah, he's a villain. He's a villain. I mean, he's a villain. He voluntarily left a place, went up the road 121 miles or whatever that is, and he set up camp at a hated rival. Yes, he's a villain. He didn't, it didn't take last night to make him a villain. Can I tell you what I thought after last night, and I stayed up late and I watched every single pitch because it was meaningful to me. And I bear him no malice. If he wanted to go, let him go. I just didn't want him to do well against the Nats. He could do well against anybody else. I didn't care. Last night, he wasn't a villain. He was a star. When the spotlight was the brightest, he rose up. He owned the night. The only reason that that ball that he hit late stopped is because there's a building there, or we'd still be watching that ball. He did everything you're supposed to do. I think he's batting 459 after that game. In, in a hostile environment, he owned it. He was a star, and you don't replace stars that easily. The Nats lineup, they don't have any guy like that anymore. I tip my hat to him for what he did in a hard circumstance. Can I do. ask you just a little question? Yeah. What month is it? It's April. This Has he been a star in October? No, I, no, it doesn't mean... You know what? But I've heard... I've spent eight years here, which is his whole career, I think, and all I've heard about from you and Kirkjian and Boswell and Justice and all the people that follow Bears ball in this area, yeah. all of whom are Hall of Fame writers, by the way, except you, I think. Actually, I am. <laughs> you thanks. are, too. All of you slurped this guy yeah. every year for his whole career. Had an MVP. And a guy he grew up with, who has much less fanfare, has I been don't in, talk wait, about wait, Chicago wait, 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 not going to No, Chris I'm David. talking about Bryce Harper. Right. He has not delivered as much as his boyhood friend. He hasn't delivered Jack. And when you people can celebrate You him, people. You people. You, you people. Hall of Famers, in October, it will matter. April, not the April second was of important April. because that's the first not time important. that he was back. Not I'll important. tell you this. If he doesn't get another hit against the Nats, he still won. Nothing. He's being, oh, it's your lead. That's right. You're so foaming at the mouth of a Bryce Harper. I am. Let you shake your head and your helmet and your hair. I wish I had here. If I had here, I'd shake it like him. <laughs> it's being treated as big news here, too. That Russell Wilson is declaring April 15 the last day to negotiate a new contract with the Seahawks. Wilson set the deadline reportedly 
to be able to prepare for the 2019 season with zero distractions. The Seahawks have traditionally put such extension negotiations off until after the draft, which this time around is April 25th, 10 days later. Wilson isn't threatening to sit out or do anything disruptive, but says negotiations after that date will cease. Tony, should the club pay any attention to Wilson's deadline? Uh, Look, if Seattle wants him, and they should because he's a wonderful quarterback, they should attempt to get a deal sooner rather than later. Because you you need clarity at quarterback. Well, franchise, you're going to end up paying him more than you might have to pay. But if you're asking me about the deadline, I'm going to tell you that all these deadlines are artificial. And that if they come across with a really good offer on May 25th, <laughs> Russell Wilson likes it, then you say, I mean, don't, don't talk to me about artificial deadlines. Totally phony deadlines. Yeah, yeah. The season doesn't start for five more months after this yeah. deadline. Camp doesn't even start for three months until after this deadline. It takes weeks to even get to the stupid OTAs. This is Listen, if Russell Wilson thinks by creating some phony deadline and declaring it, that it'll somehow help his negotiation, good, good for, for him. him. Good for him. In the meantime, if the Seahawks aren't paying attention, and like you say, they call Russell Wilson up while he's on the golf course putting out. Got and say, Russ, <laughs> we got a deal for you even though because right. June 1st, I'm sure you won't want the $40 million a That's year. Uh, I mean, this is just this is just phony junk. They should do. Uh, I wonder if they're going to do in football what they have done very recently in baseball, which is look for extensions, 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 and keep people. They could. He's a worthy He's worth quarterback. Keeping. He's been. You want to have Bowl, him? Hundred percent. Absolutely. Golden State Warriors easily handled your Denver Nuggets last like night I at home. This gives Golden State a two-game lead and the head-to-head tiebreaker over Denver with five games left to play. So the Warriors are pretty much set as the number one seed in the West. Wilbon, what chance do you give the Nuggets to win the West in the playoffs? Big chance, little chance, Zippo. I would like to sit here and, and sort of give you a scenario. Zippo. That would have the Nuggets upsetting one team. Zippo. And then another team. And then one versus two. Yeah. And it's not going to happen. It, it, basketball doesn't work that way. You know, this is not the tournament where you look at the seedings and just advance them. Because if not they have to play, that's right. If, if, if the Denver Nuggets, and I love what they've done this season. I mean, every, every part of what the Nuggets have done. They're going to put themselves into be, the position to be real contenders soon, just not now. If they play the San Antonio Spurs, two versus seven in the first round, they can good go night. Out. They can good go night. Out. That's right. They may go good night against that's OKC, right. which has right. struggled lately, though right. not last night. So, Tony, I wish I don't see a path. It's uh, they're one in three against Golden State right now. They're minus 60 in point difference. They have no chance in the playoffs of beating them. My my worry. Did you see Kevin Durant? I know you love Kevin Durant. Did you see him last night get tossed again I the whole for the 15th time? Game. So one more and and it's no, suspension 15, city. Technical, not One more and it's suspension city. Yeah. Same thing with Draymond Green. One more and it's suspension city. I think they're the best team it, by far. It starts far. over in the playoffs. It's the poison atmosphere that I worry about. That this looks like the last days of Pompeii. I still think they'll win, but I think this you know is what? it. I don't know about Pompeii, but I, I've been thinking about the 2004 Lakers. That team is one that everybody had picked to, I think, have another three-peat or whatever it was, and they didn't. And it was poison. And they broke it up after that. I remember Shaq went to Miami. And, Thank you. And so I wonder about that. But, Durant's miserable. He's but, unhappy. But Denver. Unhappy. Denver's not unhappy. ready. They, Denver can't beat Houston. This is I don't know about Denver beating San Antonio. The we're having on Denver. Not the last. They're going to be in the playoffs to the high. For another six months. No, just a couple of weeks. We've talked about Bryce Harper a lot through the first week of the MLB season, but barely mentioned Manny Machado. 
And the only reason we're mentioning him now is that he seemed guilty of some pretty scummy behavior last night, if you believe the Diamondbacks and the umpires. Machado, while trotting out a pop-up, he doesn't hustle on those plays, does he? Dropped a bat fairly close to the feet of Arizona catcher John Ryan Murphy. The umps called Machado out for batter's interference. And announcer Bob Brilly, calling the game for the Diamondbacks, a former catcher, called it Bush League. Tony, dirty play by Machado, or is it being exaggerated? So it's, a, it's quite an irony that we would have the two highest-priced free agents to talk about on the same day, one as a hero and one as a villain. Um, this sort of Manny Machado is beginning to come to me as Grayson Allen a Duke. That what because he doesn't get the benefit of the doubt that no. whatever he does that he gave close, it away he gave it away you get the highlight reel and perhaps it's exaggerated right. if you watch this I tried to watch it carefully and I think Machado is a dirty player but I tried to watch it carefully I, I don't know that the bat is that close and I don't know that he bumped him and so I, I am not certain I am not certain that this wasn't brought on by the fact that he's Manny Machado I've been watching baseball. 55 years, and I'm going to just guess and say you've been watching 65 years. I love baseball. And how many times do we see even opposing players, a catcher, a batter, on-deck guy, remove a bat from a home plate slide or run through because he doesn't want to see his fraternity member, his colleague, get seriously injured? What Machado did, I don't know if, I don't care if he bumped him, I don't care about that. The bat was put there, he knows better. He knows better. I don't believe so you think it's anything he said. That was as dirty to yeah. me as dirty gets. So I would think when Bob Brenly, and this is the direct quote, this is Bush League right here. I, that's a stutter. That's a, uh, I, I believe Bob Brenly. I'm stutter. with him on that. Speaking on a conference call yesterday with the other coaches in the women's final four, Gino Oriema said, and I quote, the majority of coaches in America are afraid of their players. The NCAA, the athletic directors, and society has made them afraid of their players. Every article you read... This guy's a bully. This woman is a bully. This guy went over the line. This woman was inappropriate. Yet the players get off scot-free in everything. They don't like something you say to them. They transfer. Coaches have to coach with one hand tied behind their back, unquote. Wilbon, do you believe that most coaches are afraid of their players? And is this a problem, as Oriema suggests? I have come over the years because I actually do talk to Gino Oriema and text with him sometimes, too. I've come to believe about 90% of what he says in terms of his professional observations. Mm. He is astute. He is nuanced. He acknowledges all the gray areas in that long quote. And if you look at, the, at it for greater context, even if I didn't think of it that way initially, when Gino Oriema says this in long form, I'm giving him yeah. the benefit of the doubt. So I find it interesting that Gino Oriema is identifying now as, the, as a shift in the way we look at sports that the players have the power. Right. Because for 50 years, coaches, coaches have had all the yes. power yes. and have grown up thinking and By the way, we Gino acknowledges that. No, no, no. There's, yeah. a, there's no question about yeah. that. But I think that really successful coaches learn to navigate the cultural waters. Gino Oriema can yell at his players can scream at his players because they want to play for him because he wins. That's why they're there to play for him. I think he's probably, I think he's probably focusing on the transfer circumstance and, and in, because people, it's going to get easier and easier and easier to transfer. And this is, this is the direct lineage from everybody getting a trophy and an apple slice. Because yeah. if you don't play in right. the first year, right. you say, I'm you on go. And if that happens, you go. the school investigates and, the and program. And to keep that from happening, you might kowtow to a player more than you used to as a coach. Sylvia Hatchell, who, who, who won a lot. Not as many championships as, as Gino, yeah. but at least one that I can recall yeah, I think in one. the 80s. Yeah. 
mean, coaches like that are, are, are finding themselves in this maelstrom when they have been successful and they have certainly screamed at players in the past and it did not have the result that people fear them. Can I tell you this? The, the high school coach, my, the basketball coach at my high school, on layup drills, he used to take a towel and hit you with a towel. And he hit you with a towel. You can't do that now, obviously. Right. But all the players felt this is purposeful. This is so when we go up, if we're going to get hit, yeah, we can complete the play. Right. So though the, we have seen the days are gone when you can do anything like that. It's hard to even yell now. It's hard. But coaches believe and parents believe we can yell at our own kids. Did you complete the N1 or were you laid out sprawled? I wasn't out on the good floor? enough to play. I just watched. Let's take a break. <laughs> Coming up, what are LeBron's reflections on his inaugural season with the Lakers? We're going to ask Brian Windhorst. We'll also ask him what kind of owner. LeBron's going to be at some point, maybe sooner than you think. So I think Gino's probably right in the observation. Pardon the interruption is brought to you by Ameriprise Financial. With the right financial advice, life can be brilliant. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day... When he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Time for a visit from our great friend and the author of the upcoming book, LeBron Inc., which I hold up, The Making of a Billion Dollar Athlete, Mr. Brian Windhorst. Brian, let's start with this. I look at this season for LeBron as a complete disaster. Do you have any sense of how he looks at it? Well, I think he was guilty this year of hubris. Because if you look at what happened in Cleveland when he came back in 2014, he took that team from out of the playoffs into the finals. And I think he believes, basically, if I'm on a team, it has a chance to be great. And even though he came to the Lakers without Kyrie Irving or Kevin Love like he had in Cleveland... I think he thought, I'm going to lift this whole organization up. And look, he was 29 going on 30 back then. This year he was 33 going on 34. He got hurt. And I think he just kind of got caught in thinking that he individually himself could make that big of a difference. And let's not also forget the Western Conference is tougher to rise above than the Eastern Conference. And I think all of those lessons were ones that LeBron had to learn this year. Brian, we've seen as much of LeBron the businessman this year as we've seen of LeBron the basketball player. These promos and LeBron presents and LeBron executive producer. LeBron is a businessman now as much as anything else. And obviously Magic, a second life, which is in some ways even more impressive than the basketball life for Magic. How are those two guys, and they are partners in this now, what do you sense of of their relationship and, and, and is business the pivotal point for both of them? Well, look, uh, LeBron wants to be a billionaire. LeBron wants to be a sports owner. You don't get that on basketball salary. Michael Jordan didn't get it on basketball salary. He got it because of his off-the-court things and his business dealings. Magic Johnson is an owner. He owned part of the Lakers for a while. Now he owns parts of the Dodgers, and he didn't get there by being a player. Um, And that's not going to happen for LeBron. He's got to do the investment. So he's setting himself up for later. And I would argue that LeBron's championship in 2019 – is Space Jam 2. Now, he would argue with me on that and say, I never thought of Space Jam 2 while I was playing during the season. It never uh, you know, affected my play and everything, and I would agree with that. But if he's Space Jam 2, which he's filming this summer, if that is a hit, 
It sets him up to make movie after movie down the line. If it's a failure, it's a huge step back or a huge setback for his media career. So, you know, he could tell me, look, and he has said, I could have made Space Jam 2. I could have made all these shows from Cleveland. I didn't come to Los Angeles to be in the media business. I was already in the media business. But obviously, if you look at his moves, I'm judging him by his actions, not his words. And coming to L.A. was not only a basketball decision. Hey, that's fine. Going to Cleveland wasn't a full basketball decision. Leaving the heat and going to Cleveland was not just about basketball. There was emotion in that. And I think at some point he will admit that this wasn't a full basketball decision and he's going to have to pay a little bit of the price for going that direction. To be a team owner, and I, I guess we're talking about the NBA, although I probably shouldn't limit LeBron like that. But what kind of owner do you think he's going to be? And are we talking, Brian, about right away? I mean, the day he steps off the court, is he going to be looking to, to, to run an NBA franchise at the very least? I think he's preparing for it right now. The team that it makes sense for him to buy someday is if Dan Gilbert would ever sell the Cavs. There's been some feeling that Dan Gilbert may want to own an NFL team someday. He may want to sell the Cavs someday. That would be the team that he would buy because it would make so much sense. But he and Gilbert hate each other. So I don't know how they could you know, form, a, <laughs> form a business partnership. But that's the type of deal. He's looking at it right now and preparing to do it right now. And you know what? Michael has been, he, you know, Michael runs a team that's one of the lowest revenue teams in the league. And he's got to be a little bit prudent in running that. And I would assume if LeBron bought a mid-market team, he might be a little tight-fisted when it comes to time. Now, we'll get you out of here on this. And you know LeBron better than anybody out there knows LeBron. Given what happened this year, given all that LeBron has seen, if he had to do this over again, do you think he would have done it the same way, gone to the Lakers, gone through this season? I do, because I still think this season hasn't been humbling enough. I think he can still point to the injury and say this was an outlier year. We will know next year whether this was a one-off or this is the beginning of LeBron's slippage. And I say that with two different ways. The guy got hurt twice this year, slipping on the court. He banged his knee a couple of weeks ago, slipping. Is he slipping because the floor is wet, or is he slipping because he's 34 with 30,000 minutes? Thank you we'll so much, Brian. Thank, thank you, thank Brian. You. Good luck with the book. Thank you. Brian's book hits the shelves on April 9th. Pre-order it right now. Let's take one last break, but still to come, John Morant, Wilbon's boy, is about to declare for the NBA draft. What sort of expectation should we have for his career? Mine is autographed. I bet yours is. Russell Westbrook does something not seen since Wilt. Mine is not autographed. Mine is. Really? Yeah. By Brian, or did you write it yourself? Brian and LeBron. LeBron. He didn't sign that. <laughs> There's zero chance that happened. Get this book, people. Happy time, people. Happy 52nd birthday, Purvis Ellison. As a freshman, never nervous Purvis Ellison was the most valuable player on the Louisville team that beat Duke in 1986. Ellison became the number one overall draft choice and had an eh, NBA career with stops in Sacramento, Washington, Boston, and Seattle. That Duke team had all the people you'll remember. Jay Billis, Tommy Amaker, Johnny Dawkins, Danny Ferry, and Quinn Snyder all still making their living in basketball. You know, Purvis had a year. Where he averaged 20 and 10. One year. And it looked like a bust-out year with plenty of one, all-star appearances. It never happened. A lot of injuries. Happy anniversary, Tom Izzo. On this day 19 years ago, Izzo coached Michigan State to the national championship. 
The stars of that team were all from Flint, Michigan. Mateen Cleaves, Morris Peterson, and Charlie Bell, and nicknamed the Flintstones. It's hard to believe that was 19 years ago. Counting this year, Izzo has been to the Final Four eight times. Among active coaches, only Mike Krzyzewski and Roy Williams have been there more. You know I have a familial connection to Virginia. I will be wearing Virginia colors on Saturday. I am rooting for Tom Izzo. Is that fair? It's fair. In your life, in your world, parallel <laughs> universe. Happy trails to Xander Bogarts for the second straight night. Ramon Laureano, the center fielder for the Oakland A's, is apparently kryptonite to Bogarts. Laureano threw him out at home on Monday night and threw him out at third last night, and you should never be thrown out at third in a one nothing game, said Bogarts, quote, how can he do that two nights in a row? The next time I won't even run. I still admire Bogarts. It's April. Test him. See what he's got. got well, got this is goods. what he's got, okay? Got Big finish. Here we go. Let's Russell Westbrook got 20-20-20 in honor of the late Nipsey Hussle last night. Your thoughts? I watched it. It was amazing. And I'm thinking of him being on another list with Wilt Chamberlain. That's what I'm thinking of. Buzz Williams is leaving Virginia Tech for Texas A&M. Makes sense, doesn't it? He's a Texas boy, and he was an assistant there assistant for a number coach. of years. Yeah. Yes, it makes sense. UCLA is reportedly closing in on hiring TCU coach Jamie Dixon. Is that a good, good script? Thing? He's from, like, North Hollywood. I mean, it's got, you know, it's got possibilities. I don't know if it fits yet. Shaq says Antetokounmpo is better than he was, better than Shaq was at 24, and has given him his super na- Superman nickname. You believe that? No, oh, it's so benevolent of Shaq. Shaq was in the finals Different this age. players Freak utterly. Last yet. one, John Morant will officially declare for the NBA draft tonight. You have high expectations of it. Very high. If the Phoenix Suns get him, Tony, watch out. They're two years watch away out. from being two years away. No, no. We're out of time. We'll try and do better the next time. I'm Tony Corner. Bryce Harper's two years away from a playoff win, at least. I'm Mike Wilbon. Same nuts. time tomorrow, Knuckleheads. You can get the podcast on the app or Apple. Brian Swatek, Under Armour.